This week's episode of the Finding Strength Podcast, we got my buddy Ty Hansen. Tells his rad, incredible, surprising. I was blown away. Story, right? I had no clue. Kind of cool. Yeah, huh? it was really cool. Very touching. I even like got the goosebumps and everything. Yeah. The story is incredible. Yeah, there's, there's some teary moments for yeah. sure. For yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. So excited for you guys to hear that. Plugging last week's episode. If you haven't checked out the episode on sleep or the episode with Kevin um, Thacker, Kevin Thacker, dude, great episode. The mm-hmm. episode with Kevin was awesome talking yeah. about addiction and poverty and all that stuff. So we're excited for you guys to check this one out. Also, if you wouldn't mind, if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, please do that. Subscribe on YouTube. That helps us a ton. Like, share, all the things, the more people that are available to the 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 finding strength method message, the better, yeah. right? Yeah. TikTok, all the fun things. Yep. So thank you for all your uh, support, and we love you, and enjoy this episode. This gentleman, my friend Ty Hansen. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, are we? I guess yeah, we're, we're already recording. recording. Yes. We might just start from the beginning of that whole situation. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I love it. We'll do the Joe Rogan. No, we're recording. All right. Yeah, yeah here right. we go. <laughs> Welcome back to the Finding Strength Pond, Podcast. Yep, here we are. <laughs> we're here. We have Ty Hansen with us. Do you want to explain who he is? You, sure. No, away. you explain Me? who he is. Oh, Ty's, with him. <laughs> Ty's my good friend. Ty's the. Um, Ty and I met many, many moons ago. That would be an interesting story to tell, That'd too. Be an interesting story to tell. Yeah. But Ty's the uh, owner of Steps Recovery Center. Um, I've been working with Steps for the last several years. Steps works in conjunction with Deer Hollow, recovery stuff. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. Ty's <laughs> kind of the man, dude. Ty's, Ty's a really, he's super humble. You are, you're really humble. At least you pretend to be humble. I don't know if you actually are. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ty's very humble. He's been through a lot. And his story is incredible. And I just appreciate you coming on oh, to do your thing and, and tell the deal. Because your story is pretty incredible, man. It really is. Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride. It's only cool now. So it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't cool at the time at all. No. Well, and, and Josh Adams and Jordan Lee, that episode, mm-hmm. Josh talks about uh, you mm-hmm. and basically just freaking picking you up by your freaking collar and getting to the gym every day. And, mm-hmm. and that and you and Josh are really close friends. So it's kind of cool. Cause Ty and I, we met, I guess what, five, six years ago, probably yeah. something yeah. like that. And then, um, in that time we've worked together quite a bit and I've now worked with steps and do groups down there once a week. And I've done groups down there even more than that. And I've trained therapists and blah, 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 blah. It's been a really great relationship. So I'm stoked yeah. that he's here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well then let's just like dive right in. Are you okay with that? Yeah, <laughs> um, first of all, like, where are you from? Are you from Utah? And then where, how many siblings do you have and where do you fall on the line? So I'm from Orm, Utah. Okay. Born and raised there. My dad was from Idaho. Mom was from Washington. And they met at Rick's College and kind of settled in the middle. So um, grew up there. I have five siblings. So I'm the oldest of five kids. Oh, and you're the oldest. All right. The oldest. Yeah, the oldest yeah. here. All that pressure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little bit. Well, and your dad was an achiever too, man. Like that yeah. guy. A little shame, a little guilt. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so how did you, so you grew up in Orem, Utah? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, and then, um, like, tell us about how, you, like, growing up was. So, and and I don't know how much of this Matt even knows, so this will be kind of interesting and get your take on this stuff, but my family's all super high achievers. So my little brother played in the NBA. My sisters were two of the best basketball players in the history of Utah ever and played at BYU also. Wow, that's and cool. I have another little brother that was a really good athlete and really handsome guy so my family's all crazy crazy and my dad was kind of that way too he played um at rick's college and and then i think uh, byu somewhat during the danny age years and so mm, that's um, legit that's yeah. BYU was freaking yeah he's, he knew what they were doing back then yeah mm-hmm. were, and he's still i mean i think his jump shot's better than everybody in the family is still so he's that's awesome he's a stud but it was uh we grew up and and my dad was a fantastic coach and was really intense and he's kind of always been that way anyway so we were all and I played baseball. I was kind of the odd one out. I'm I'm a little vertically challenged uh, <laughs> compared to the rest of my family. Uh, I got a shirt a couple of years at Christmas that short people are people too. Oh, nice. I appreciate that. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, I always tell I always tell my brother he was either tall and ugly or short and handsome. Yeah, there you go. There so I like the button I pushed in heaven or whatever. There you go, man. Short and handsome works, man. <laughs> But it, it was, it was awesome. It was great growing up and, and had incredible parents and, and, uh, incredible years with athletics. And Josh and I played, um, Chief Adams and I played T-ball together. So we played for the Yankees back in the day with a couple of other guys that now run APMP and Cody Floyd. And, and, uh, so Josh and I've been friends for a long, long time. Oh, okay. He's, he's awesome. So you guys have been friends like in, since like school. Yeah. Since, oh, like, wow. That's cool. High. Okay. Yeah, so cool. Yep, that yep. is really cool. Yeah. Okay. So I've known him a long time. That's awesome. Yeah, they're fun to travel with because we travel <laughs> all the time together in those yeah. two, man. They just freaking you can yeah. tell you guys have been friends forever. He's he's awesome. He's funny, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So quick, man. That guy mm-hmm. out of nowhere, just the most quick witted freaking little dig or comment. He's dude. the guy you always want to sit next to in the meetings because yes. he's not gonna say it very loud, but no. if you can catch what he's saying, it's great. <laughs> Really I did sit next to him at one of your conferences and he is pretty funny. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, they're fantastic. So, um, so tell us a little more about like your story. So was a good kid growing up was, you know, got good grades, had good friends, uh, played on the baseball team, played on the basketball team, um, for a little bit in junior high and then for a year in high school. And, you know, just was kind of a high achiever driven first oldest set a good example, do the right thing. And I went on an LDS mission to Japan. Oh, cool. And my dad had gone to Japan, too. So it was like a dream come true. And it was super awesome um, to go out there. And learning Japanese is really hard. God, um, we, oh, were in the yeah. mission, we were in the MTC for two months. and But I had great friends and, and made some great acquaintances and, and had a really neat, um, really cool experience doing that. When I had gone out, and I think I was out about a year um, and back in the day with the MTC and missions, you only called home like once a year, twice a year is like mother's day and Christmas. Christmas. So I called home for Christmas and it wasn't the phone call you would normally have. It was just kind of weird and kind of off. And my dad came in at the very end and he said, Hey, um, I'll call you back later. Next couple of days, your mom's going in for some tests. She's not feeling the best and she's had some back pain. She's had some little things. And my mom was this little tiny lady who was like a track star in Washington. And so she was, she was always really little and she didn't really say anything or allude to anything. And then I think I got a, I think I remember I got a phone call. It was like 30 days later and it was from the mission home, which is kind of weird. And yeah. the mission president just said, Hey, 
can you and your companion get on your bikes and come down here? Um, we need you to ride down. And it was, it was a pretty good ride. And so I kind of knew something was up and I wasn't quite sure what it was, but we rode our bikes, took off, you know, kind of mid morning, um, rode our bikes down, showed up at the mission home and everybody's in tears. And he said, Hey, come in. Your dad's on the phone. We got to talk to you. So walked in and, and you're, you know, your life just changes in a moment. Your mom's got pancreatic cancer. She's only going to live three months. Um, you can go home or you can stay. You get to decide. And your dad wants to talk to you. And dad's just, you know, oh, a mess. Got it. Yeah. Just, just got it. And everybody is. And, and in most families, like I'm sure in your family, um, because Matt and I are similar, mm-hmm. you're in charge, mm-hmm. which is the best. <laughs> which, True. Which is the best case scenario. Yeah, yeah. And at my yeah, house, yeah. I, my son reminded me, he said, you know, dad, you're one of the bosses. You're just not the boss. <laughs> yeah. That's, you nailed it. I love and, it. And that was the thing with my mom. My mom was wonderful and knew every girl I ever kissed and every date I've ever gone on and didn't judge anything and just loved unconditionally. It was just kind of that person. And so, um, dad said, you've got some decisions to make and, you can fly out tomorrow and come home and see her here, or you can come home in 30 days for the funeral. And it was just like, oh my gosh. And so, oh. yeah, you go in and. That's so much to take as an 18 year old. Like, cause are yeah. you on the start of your mission? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're like 18 years old. 19, yeah. 18, 19. Yep. Oh, is it 19? It's 19 back yeah, then. For back yeah. then, yeah. yeah. But that's still so young. And that's then to get baby. that information yeah. and then be like, all right, son. Yeah, and choose and, what you want to do and, and make some decisions. And, yeah, that's and a ch- big decision. And the church, you know, they were in a different position. They didn't know how to deal with a lot of stuff. Yes, yeah. And so the the question was, you can go home and you can be there for like seven days, and then you have to come back to Japan, or the option is you can stay home and finish your mission stateside okay but you have to go back in 30 days and so i hadn't even contemplated any of this and i just thought like my mission's over i'm gonna go home and be with my mom yeah and the mission president was interesting he gave me a blessing and we had a conversation and in that he said you'll come back and serve the people of japan and i was like nah i don't think that's right i don't think that's gonna happen and so it went back crazy deal you know you're in japan and a you know, 20 hours later, you're in Utah back with the mountains and in a car with my dad. And he's not saying much because he's just I'm going nice. through it. And we're just oh. trying to kind of make our way home. And he says, you know, we're going to go to the hospital. Mom's in the hospital. And when you walk in, she's really sick. So as you walk in and do that, don't be surprised. By he's what preparing she, you he, for what you were going to see. Prepared, yes. Yeah. And, she doesn't look like mom. And even that was like, my mom was so sick and emaciated and just, just almost skeletal. She wasn't very big, you know, she yeah, was just she's already petite lady anyway. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things. And it was like, you know, hugs and tears. And my aunt was there who I love dearly and my dad. And, and it was just, you know, what do you, what do you do? What do you say? And so I spend that next you know, five or six days kind of around the hospital in and out. She came home at one point and we, we talked a lot about different things and, and, um, you know, we have a couple of really, really neat conversations. And then one of the, one of the last conversations we have while I was there, she said, and it, she was just an incredible woman of faith. And she just said, I need you to go back and finish your mission in Japan. And I was like, what, like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? And she mm-hmm. said, everybody's going to fall apart here. I think it would be better if you're there and could set that example for your brothers and sisters. And she said, even your dad's going to struggle here and, and you wouldn't not struggle here. And I just thought, okay, 
like, you know, your mom's yeah. kind of last wishes. Yeah. Okay. And, and, uh, and I did that, you know, I left, um, on like the seventh or eighth day, I flew back to Japan and, and went back to my mission, to my mission and my companion. And it was just kind of this crazy thing where you could, and they said, you know, she's not going to be around very long. You can call home if you feel like you need to, but you should get back to work on the mission. And there wasn't any therapy or anybody to talk to and everybody felt bad for you, but nobody knew what to do. And Mm -hmm. the only thing I knew how to do, Matt, and and we kind of grew up like this is just work Work. hard. Yeah. Right. So put your head down, make it happen. And I, and I can do that. My family can do that. Right. We can, get after it and worked out a little harder and did some more pushups in the morning. And then, you know, by virtue of that became a really good missionary and, and got the phone call. I think it was like two months later that my mom had passed away and it's, it's crazy. You get a phone call and she, you know, pancreatic cancer at that time was nasty Yeah, and she'd gone through a lot of pain and it was really miserable. But my dad called me and said, this is a wonderful day. Your mom's out of pain. Mm -hmm. She's, she's gone home. And, and, and I just remember thinking this is, you know, this is not that kind of thing. And in that, I had some conversations with my brother, Travis, while I was home. And he's just younger than me. And he essentially said, you know, we were in the car together. He was driving me home after that first talk with my mom. And he said, you know, that, you know, Ty, if we have a little bit of faith, mom can't die. You know, and he kind of said the whole mustard seed of faith thing. Like, yeah. if we do that and you're on a mission and I'm doing good, she won't die. And so it started this whole thing when she died, you guys, of, well, here I am with at least that much faith or at least being the best I've possibly ever been in my life. And God still takes my mom. So what's that about? You know what I mean? And and it was more of a God owes me or God doesn't listen to me or just kind of those, those inklings mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of, you know, he doesn't really care about me. Yeah. And, um, that was really hard, you know, and I finished my mission, had a good time. And then, and then that's not really the most traumatic part is the hard work part. The traumatic part is going home to your home and your dad's, you know, starting to date again oh. and you weren't there for the funeral so you've kind of compartmentalized all that. a lot oh. of stuff and so i remember going in and, and this isn't good bad or indifferent but going to my dad to say look i i'd like to see pictures of the funeral and you i got a cassette tape of the funeral so you could listen to it and yeah, stuff. I yeah think i listened yeah. to it like one time and then just went to work yeah. kind of deal and so just just said you know tell me about some of this stuff and because of the position everybody was in and they'd grieved for a year and they'd right. they'd had their therapy and they'd moved on mm-hmm. nobody was really anxious to dive into it um, and so that part was hard you feel separate yeah. from kind of everybody mm-hmm. else so it's like a double abandonment like this mm-hmm. weird strange difficult to comprehend spiritual abandonment mm-hmm. from God yep and then you get home and then you have this expectation mm-hmm. that's not met. And then families kind of moved on and you're stuck left behind. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it, and it's that double abandonment thing and you just don't have anywhere to go with it. Mm. And anytime you want to complain about something, it's like, you know, there's nowhere to go with that. So you're very much, I was internalizing things oh, yeah. and just couldn't find a spot to internalize stuff. You're just kind of suppressing. I was going to say like keeping feeling. it in and pushing it down. Yeah. 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 Hugely. And, yeah. and, 
rather than getting it out. Yeah. And yeah. there's no, and I, I didn't, we didn't talk as a family. There's not really, it wasn't a time when anybody did therapy. It wasn't. Yeah. Those we didn't talk about things. your feelings back then. Yeah. You, yeah. you just, you, you just, just kinda, keep going. Yeah. You know, you got to go to college and get yeah. a job. And, what's the next thing? Right. It's what's the next yeah, thing. What's yeah. What's the next yep. thing? Right? Push it down and move on. Yeah. Yep. Shove it down and move on. And I remember just, you know, struggling with so many thoughts and so many things in my relationship, my spirituality and all those pieces. And then came home and life was super hard going back to school and dealing with life on life's terms and not having a mom that did everything for me from registering for college to just everything, you know, and trying to try to learn this stuff on my own. And, and your dad, you know, dad's dating and, and everybody's in different positions. And it was just kind of this traumatic thing that I just stuffed and, and moved on and did whatever with. And, um, I was playing softball with a bunch of guys locally and we played on some really good teams. We had played on a team that was like the national championship team for our world champions for, for softball. And in that, I remember getting injured one day and somebody just kind of arbitrarily, I was always the young guy on the team and we had a bunch of really good players and just said, Hey, here's some lower tab. Take these. You'll feel better. And two things happened that day. One, it was a district championship here in Salt Lake. We were playing at the fields in West Valley and we ended up winning that game. And I was one of the guys that hit in, I think one of the winning runs after I took that pill. And so not only did my pain go away, mm. but the good luck kind of baseball uh, superstitious part mm -hmm. was like, well, this is, this is a good, you know, yeah. you don't change your socks. You don't change your underwear. I took this pill and hit this winning thing. That's yeah. the Holy grail to all this. Interesting. Thing. But the other part I didn't understand, Matt, was it was a kind of a reprieve from that pain. So that emotional, just rocking, just the, is just worn me down so long. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a reprieve from that for just a couple of hours. And all of that was so heavy and I just didn't know how to work on it or talk about it or breathe through it or, you know, any of those things. No skills. Yeah. There's no skills whatsoever that that was my release. But the pill helped to like lighten your load. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and I, I was so... <laughs> just miserable for so long yep. that it was just awesome yep and so that began you know at 20 some years of age you know this this full-blown addiction what year is this about oh, man i would want to say it was like 2001 okay yeah so we're talking like very or like tail end-ish of the opioid epidemic it's beginning to pinnacle yes yeah, so right in that's exactly it right in that time I'm taking some Lortab and doing this, but the Oxycontin, Oxycontin thing, about to come online. It is it yeah. is starting to hit the streets. And so uh, okay. and so not only do we have access to pills on the team, but we have access to anything you want plus some. And we're traveling around doing whatever. And it's and it is absolutely off the hook. And and in this time my little brother starts struggling with addiction. I'm completely aware of that. But I'm having my own struggles and going this way and, mm -hmm. and it's 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 yeah. terrible. And I get married during this time um, and have struggled off and on with taking pills. And I end up marrying a gal who's absolutely, you know, great, but she's a little high strung. And so when I'm getting home from work, she's frustrated and voicing her mm -hmm. opinions and all these things. And, and I figure out if I take a lower tab and sit down and watch ESPN, I don't have really any problems. And this doesn't bother me. Right. I don't have to deal with it. I do not have the communication skills to be in <laughs> yeah. a marriage to begin with. Right. Yeah. So this is kind of an easy way out. And that just mm -hmm. further feeds this addiction. And, and you know, Lortab turns to Percocet, Percocet turned to Oxys. And we had so it was so abundantly available that I was off the chain. 
Mm. And so did your wife know that you were taking these at the time did. or did you hide it? She did. Yeah. Okay, she so she, she did knew I had some addiction things before we got married, okay. but this kind of enhanced things. Yeah. And, and then I don't know how much she knew, probably not all of it. Yeah. But when she found out about everything, she left and, okay. and, and good on her. For but the awareness that. in early 2000s around opioid addiction, I mean, at this point, Oxycontin is actively marketing that this pill is non-addictive. Yes. Yeah. Which is an absolute lie. And that's, yeah. that's which has not been proven. It's not and that's true. the yeah. crazy part is you could walk in anywhere yeah. and get prescribed this. And it is not like we know for chronic cancer type, you know, end of life pain. It's, do you have a skin knee? Here's, here's this thing. And it is so nasty and so addictive. And I'm full blown addicted to this and it's on the streets everywhere. And in those little worlds, right? Like, especially mm -hmm. the softball world, everybody has them. Everybody's mm -hmm. using them. Everybody's taking them. And you, you can't, you know, you, you can get them so easy. It's easy. like, a it was the answer. Yeah. It was yeah. the answer to so many things at that time. Yep. Yeah. Have you seen that, uh, Netflix movie painkiller? Yeah. Oh, it's, if you guys haven't seen that, oh, listeners, check yeah. that out. I mean, it's a little heavy. It's pretty like a hard it, R, it's heavy. but the book is good too. My, uh, I think, my mom was reading the book. She was telling me about it. But yeah, it, amazing was, yeah. history of of the Purdue Pharma yep. family and how OxyContin came on. Yeah, I but just, that, it was a big deal. And to get and to get caught up in that, hundreds of thousands of people at a time were becoming opioid addicted mm -hmm. because of this OxyContin boom. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it it's you know I just finished the book. It, it's it's a tragic set of oh, circumstances and the sad. things we allowed to have happen and the, the addicts that were created and the people that died from it. Yes. And, and obviously those guys continue to, die. Yeah, yeah. And, and continue to have issues. And a lot of that, you know, we introduced that society allowed that to happen. I mean, those are things, but at the same time, you know, I, I was off the chain and yeah. would yeah. do anything, would say anything, started stealing money, got divorced. That made things a lot worse. Um, and then, you know, had a bunch of little jobs here and there that I would steal from or lie or do little things. And even had some business partners on a couple of things with some internet sales stuff where I was using money to get high and, and stealing money from the company and, and doing all those things. And I remember going to court in, I think it was 2001, 2002. And it was Judge McVeigh. And my uncle was one of the district attorneys in Utah County. And he had told me, you know, if you ever get in trouble, we're going to throw the book at you. And I kind of thought, oh, you know, he's Australian, so he's just being funny. And it turns out he doesn't really have that much, that kind of sense of humor. <laughs> but I went in and, and one of my buddy's friends that I grew up with was the prosecuting attorney. And I knew the judge and, and my uncle was the DA. And I thought, I'll be out of here in 30 minutes and be high and this doesn't matter. And the judge said the same thing they say to a lot of people these days. Of Mr. Hansen, if you continue to do this, we're going to put you in prison. We're going to put you away for a long time. And I just off the cuff said, you know, well, I don't think you can do that. And if you're going to put me in prison, then put me in prison. And just thinking that he wouldn't put me in prison, nor did he have the authority to put me in prison. Now, if anybody's listening to this and wondering, he does have the authority. <laughs> he had all those things. <laughs> and I wouldn't take that stance. And he said, I hereby sentence you to Utah State Prison. No way. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And I had a little tiny matrix. I didn't have a lot of charges. I didn't have a lot of stuff going on, but I yeah. been that guy that was too cool. Yep. And, you know, too, like, I'll show you too smart. Yep. And, and it was, yeah. Yeah. And it was, and it, and it honestly guys saved my life. It, it saved my life. Cause I would not have, yeah. you know, I had too much money. Yep. 
you know, was too connected, knew too many people, and there was no reason to quit, really. There wasn't, in my mind, the only problem was everybody wouldn't just let me use, mm. right? There wasn't actually a problem. Yeah. But you wake up in prison with somebody else's underwear on with, yeah. with some violent, violent people and have the awareness of, you know, I'm, I'm here and I did some stuff that got me here. And how do I get out of here? And you can't just say, hey, I'd like to go home now. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And you're how old? And I was. 22? 23? No, you know, this has gone on for a while. So my addiction had gone on for about a decade. Okay. I think I was about 30. Okay. When all of this happened. Okay. Right. After about 10 years of running and gunning and all these things. What's that first morning like waking up somebody else's underwear on? (laughs) Just just going, shit, I'm here now for how long? Yeah, how long are you there? So you go and you don't know how long you're there. Oh my gosh. And you have a matrix and mine was really small. So they they say you have to have 18 or 20 points. Okay, what's a matrix? I don't know what that, what do you mean? So a matrix is like all of your crimes they take and they give it a numerical value. Okay. And based on that numerical value, APMP and the prosecutor can give you a recommendation. Okay. And you need like, I think it's 18 to 20 points to be recommended to go to prison. I only had nine. Okay. Right? Eight, I think it was eight or nine. And so I thought, this is great. Yeah. I'm also going to be, be out of here. The system. Really yeah. yeah. Get out of here. This yeah. is fantastic. And then everybody was saying that, oh, dude, it's great. You came to prison. The food's better. It's a better time. And you'll be out quicker because of your matrix. And, and everybody looks at your paperwork. and, and Better okay. than jail. Better than jail. Better than jail. Better than jail. Better yeah. Than jail. Okay. Yeah. And AP&P is adult probation and parole yeah, for the probation, people yeah. who aren't familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, this is like I'm shocking yeah. my mind. This sorry, is crazy. I'll, I'll, I was thinking good, of good. the movie The Matrix. I'm like, what? You take a pill? <laughs> yeah. I wish. I would have taken that pill. <laughs> yeah, I, wonder what, I wonder what your number is, babe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I want to look it up. Like How do you charges? figure that out? <laughs> no, it's you're going to have more charges, charges than I me. I <laughs> have a number. <laughs> and, Anyways, yeah. but nine, that's crazy. Yeah. And the and, judge is like, nope, you're going. Yep. And he was an old army colonel okay. that I you know, sent a letter two years later and had some correspondence with. It was a good dude. And yeah. just put him in a place where, you know, yeah. with 500 people in my courtroom, True. you're not going to be that guy. Yeah. Note so, to self, don't do that. So back to my question. <laughs> yeah. That morning, you wake up. So first that, morning, don't know how long you're going to be in there. Like, what does that feel like? So oh. funny story. So this dude from Orem that is not hard at all, that has been raised, has a charmed life, has a couple of things. So we'll get everybody into the circle of trust. One, I have pink toenails. Okay. So my sisters, I think, had painted my toenails on a Lake Powell trip. So my toenails are pink. Oh, no. Also, number two thing, when I was at Rick's College for just a minute, I had a crazy night with some buddies, and we got CTR tattoos on my leg. Okay. So on my upper thigh, I have a CTR CTR tattoo. tattoo. So I am in a cell in my underwear, handcuffed to the guy next to me, because they do intake kind of with everybody there. With like America's Most Wanted and this dude with pink toenails <laughs> with a CTR tattoo, right? And the the, the oh Mexican guys God. are like, is that your gang? And I'm like, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's kind of my gang. Like, yeah. I'm down with God. Like, <laughs> and, it is, and it is not cool. You sign a piece of paper that says, if I die in prison, this is where I would like my body sent. And it's like that one wake up thing of what in the world? How did I get here? Yeah. How did oh. I do this? And you're not going anywhere and everybody's fighting everybody's you know joining gangs the there's this old polynesian guy in intake and he's like just while you're here don't join any gangs don't do any of the crazy stuff you know don't get any fights if you get in any fights you can stay longer 
And I'm just like, what were you feeling in that moment? Like what, like what was going through like your mind? What was your body? Like, were you just like, what the fuck is happening? Absolutely. And I was starting to detox off of all the drugs Uh, I had been on. Okay. And so it was like, the the main thing was how do I get some drugs in here? Cause the other thing people said, Mm. well, you can get drugs in prison. Okay. And it's, you know, you're in receiving an orientation for 30 days. And so you can't really get drugs in there. And so I had this guy that was my cellmate and his name was Chewy, um, but he was really funny. He was this Mexican dude. He did not talk to me the first two weeks that we were incarcerated. And I thought he just didn't speak English, but it turns out that he was like this America's most wanted guy out of California (laughs) (laughs) and he had shaved off his fingerprints. Okay. Okay. As you do. As you do. Right. As part of that lifestyle. Right. And, oh and in, in that, they could not figure out who he was. So they kept sending mail for, like, different people because he was this guy that was wanted in California and who was, like, the major heroin and meth supplier for the cartel that was in there. And he did not tell me this until way, way later. But the first two weeks, he refused to kind of have any conversations with me. This is your, this is your cuff buddy. Yeah, yeah, this is just your cuff buddy. God. And he would, I would look at him and talk to him, and he would only speak Spanish. And so, like, something happens. He figures out I'm okay. He starts talking to me. And and the first 30 days, I'm like, this is my new best friend. When I get out, I'm never going to pay for heroin again. This is the greatest thing. Uh, like, this is my guy. And yeah. interestingly enough, he's there for, like, 62 days. We're in there together. And they go to move him. He gets remanded back to California because they finally figure out who he is. Who he is. Okay. Right. And he's telling me these different stories. And he said, I said, hey, can I get your number so I can call you when I get out? Because, you know, I'd love to hook up with you. I'm a great client, you know. Mm -hmm. And he says, Ty, I want to tell you this. And and he said, I'll tell you because I love you as a brother. Mm -hmm. And it's it's the most eerie conversation. I've Because there's no emotion to this. Right. It's, It's like black eyes. And he said, when I put my stuff on the streets, I'm hopefully it kills between 10 and 12 white boys every week because the more people it kills, the more I sell. And he said, because of that, I don't want to give you my phone number. Oh, whoa. And it was that moment for me of, you know, I don't think my heroin is FDA regulated. (laughs) (laughs) And oh, based on how oh. it gets here in someone's rectums, yeah, right. Oh this might not be the cleanest lifestyle I'm living, but it was that reality of I don't want to kill you, and I kill people every day. Dude, and that dude, gives me goosebumps. And yeah. this is your homie. This is my th- like. I thought this is my homie. He is your homie. He's looking out for you. My, you know, he my, really my, was. Yeah, he really was. In he really end. was. But it was the one dude because <sighs> I'd seen him give his phone number out to tons of people. Right? He's he's moving. He's giving everybody his phone number, but he yeah. wouldn't give it to me. And it was it was a huge wake up call of this is this is not. Can I ask a therapisty question? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make him nervous. <laughs> just no, like, and this is this is like a, a big question that's not necessarily directly related to this, but kind of sort of like you're that guy though, Ty. Like you're the guy that makes friends with the freaking heroin gangbanger dealer and is like, yeah. And then the heroin gangbanger dealer trusts you so much. He's like, no, I'm not going to give you my number because I'd kill people, whatever. And I want you to live yeah. like, well, I'm going to add the judge to that too. Cause I think the judge saw something in you. Yeah. yeah. And I think he sent you for a reason. Cause I think he's like, I think this will save his life yeah. because yeah, let's add him in there. I don't know, man. Like what, what was that? Obviously, you're thinking in my head, like, I'm in that moment, 
okay, maybe I'm picking the wrong lifestyle, but as you reflect back on that from your older self yeah, and you look back and maybe there's like a, a divine element to this. Sure. I don't know. Like wh- how do you make sense of that moment now? Um, you know, it's one of those God moments. It's one of those things of what, you know, you've heard that I sent the Eskimo in the ship and I sent the firefighter in the ship and you were waiting for a yacht to come. And so you mm-hmm. didn't get on the boat. And I think I'd had good parents and I had a good relationship. I think the judges warned me. I think I'd had therapists. I went to Cirque Lodge in like 2000 and I didn't listen to any of the stuff there. And I think it was one of those God moments of, you know, you can do this or you cannot, but you'll mm-hmm. die. And this is, and then and we're kind of done. And we're done kind of talking. It's like, about it. kind of like speaking, of, speaking of Matrix, yeah. Yeah. a real red, blue, red yeah. pill, yeah. blue pill yes. moment. Yeah, no, for yeah. real. And we all have those. I mean, I think that's a. I think that's why a lot of these, these, you know, these, these legends or this lore, these stories appeal to us as humans so much because throughout our entire lives we have these pivotal moments yeah. where we're we're handed this completely unexpected dose of reality. Yep. And those pivotal moments make or break us. Mm-hmm. And obviously they come up over and over and over, but eventually there's the last red pill, blue pill moment. And you're, you're going to have to make a really important decision here. <clears throat> and I think that uh, that's the measure of the man or person, so, yeah. so to speak. I know? think I can say this knowing you and I, and, um, In spite of ourselves, a lot of people sit down with us to have a red pill moment. It's true, man. And a lot of times we have to show up in ways that are unkind and a little bit abrupt, which doesn't align with my spirit very much, to say, hey, today's the day. And people did that for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and it's not anything I, I love to do, but I know spiritually I try to be where I'm supposed to be. And when you have problems at steps, you know, I'm the last conversation you're going to have. And I can speak to, look, I didn't listen. And if I had listened to Cirque Lodge, this would be a completely different deal than it is today. So it's, it's, it's part of the gift of, of the entire thing. It's part of the give back is, is you and I have some interesting conversations with people that aren't very nice sometimes. And it's, and it's like, look, man, you're only going to get so many opportunities. And with fentanyl and all we have today, Mm -hmm. You know, that's the sad part is, is, you know. Well, and the thing that's, that I had to realize for myself and that I think I've learned helping people to make this realization is important is it's not just about me. Yeah. You know, this is the we over me thing that comes mm-hmm. up all the freaking time. Yeah. And, and, and when you realize like, oh man, like I'm, I'm fucking up. Yeah. <laughs> not only that. But maybe there's something else I could do with this life experience mm-hmm. thing that could be helpful yep. to other people. And that little, there's your mustard seed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That little idea is so powerful. If you just water that yep. thing and you just nurture it, eventually it sprouts and you can really see why you're here. Yeah. And all of these crappy, difficult, painful moments are leading up to that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have to have people come at you and throw the book and yeah. be, be the thing that I like to tell 
therapists all the time is I'm like, you have to send a message of capability. Yeah. That's inadvertent. It's this underlying message of capability. The worst thing you can do for a teenage boy or girl or whoever is create dependence. Yep. You have to allow them to individuate and give them this message of capability. And a lot of times that sounds like, guess what, dude? You got a $310 ticket for driving your friend in the car. You're paying for the whole thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right? Or guess what, dude? You think you're you think you're just going to leave treatment and you're going to go back and get your get get high again? Let me tell you actually how this is going to go. You want to hear the truth? If you're open to it, I'll tell you. If you want to just leave, that's fine too. And then they say, yeah, sure, hit me with it. And then you freaking punch them in the face with the truth. Yep. That's not how this is going to go. Yep. I know how this is going to go. I've been in this game a long time. The reality is the next set of moves on your chessboard are either near death and certain misery. Mm -hmm. This is not going to get better for you anytime soon yep. if, unless you choose to wake up. Yep. Yeah. And, and I had a dear friend who you know, Desmond Lomax. Desi, yeah, man. Yeah, Desi. My boy. He's been on the podcast, dude. Yeah. Yeah, we love Desi. And he was my therapist in prison. And, Good guy. And I, because of the relationship we had, and it, and it's funny you say that, he wasn't altogether nice. No. You know what I mean? But he, he, told, me, he told me the truth. He always told me the truth. And we'd have mediations. And I and I went over to the drug program in the prison, and I, I got to a place where I was the the inmate in charge of the drug program in the prison. So I got a ton of training, got to see good therapists and work with good people. And he would have his guys come in for mediations all the time. And so I'd work with him and talk to him. And he would always give you good feedback. Like that wasn't good. This was good. You could do better here. What you're saying is is a little too shamey, right? A little too much of this. And it really was, was corrective feedback that when three months in, he turned to me and said, you know, when you get out, if you want to have a good life and be a therapist, you could. Yeah. It took me three days, Matt, to go, why was he lie? Why would he lie? Yeah. Like the, I had so little self-worth that why would he, why would he lie to me? And I couldn't find the spot where he'd lied before. And so it gave me a little bit of hope as to, I might be okay. I might be okay. Maybe there's something. There's one there. person saying I might be okay. There's maybe. Well, and they've been honest with you ever since. Like you're, the beginning of your relationship has always been honesty. Yes. Yeah. And like to finally gain that, that, that friendship somewhere in the darkest moment mm. of your life. And then to really contemplate like, okay, he's been honest with me from the beginning. Like, mm. yeah, that's a sense of hope there. Yeah. Cause Something you to grab onto. Cause you have, you have no hope. Everybody yeah. comes back. This is my first time. You'll definitely come back. I mean, the overwhelming message is that th this is going to be the rest of your life. And so that for somebody to say that, you know, it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. is like the one out of the 3000th message you've got and you just go, that's, I mean, that's weird. Why would yeah. he say that? That's dumb. Yeah. So while you're in prison and you have this inmate and you know, he doesn't give you his number and stuff. And so you're like really contemplating like, Oh, like I could die. Yeah. So was that in that moment, like when you're like, okay, I'm going to try and get clean or did it take, was there a longer process to? So in that moment, it was kind of the realization of this isn't really where I want to live okay. and what I want to do. And I had a little bit of a wake up and enough sobriety after 60 days to kind of go, this isn't me. Okay. You know what I mean? And, and if this guy sees it in me, then maybe there's something there also. And so um, I got moved over after 60 days to the drug program. And I had access to great counselors and they run a treatment community. So a lot like the other side Academy in Red Barn mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you get a ton of just brutal feedback. 
Mm-hmm. And it was really good for me to hear how I show up and the things I do and the lies I tell and the pe- the person I am. And and we had good groups where, you know, that was kind of the overwhelming theme of the games you've played that get you here and not the ones that are going to get you out. Mm-hmm. And so it was at a time when that program was running really well and they had great, you know, Desiree Conley and, and uh, Greg Hendricks and Desmond and just, you know, great, great people that were there and supportive. And I worked my way up to be in kind of leadership positions there. And then work my way up to be kind of the unit coordinator that's over everything. And you kind of get to see all the pieces, which is just fascinating because security doesn't want to be there. Therapy wants you to be there. They all have to work together, right? And and what's that marriage, you know, dysfunctional marriage look like? Yeah, yeah. wow, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, yeah, a lot of moving parts. And we had great guards that were good people to this day that that helped change my life because their overwhelming message is, you know, the only difference between you and I is I got caught. Mm. And they're kind and they're empathetic. And and those messages are are huge for the inmate population. And so while I was there, um, I remember, you know, kind of the, kind of the, the wake up call piece is I had my bishop that was my bishop at the time call me down for a visit. And it was in a single cell and they don't ever kind of do that. They go different places and security was kind of there. And he said, Hey, I need you to read this. And my little brother had passed away. Um, and my family was so embarrassed and hurt and going through their own grief that, that they didn't come tell me. And so this paper was like three weeks old (sighs) and he showed me this paper and it was my brother's obituary and my name was on there. And he said, is this your brother? And it was like, you know, yeah. And so, um, n- no, the, in my entire incarceration, I never called home. I was so shameful. I was so embarrassed. My family was so embarrassed, you know, all of these, these things that I'd done. So mm-hmm. it was the first time I called home to talk to my dad. And he just said, I'll come visit you. And yeah. this was your younger brother that was, was struggling when you went yes. to prison, right? Okay. My younger brother. And, and, and he'd struggled on and off. He'd, he'd had his issues and just, you know, was, was in an argument with his wife one night and took too many Xanax and didn't wake up. And the amount of times I've done that in my life is, yeah. you know, what, hundreds and I've always woken up. And so there's survivor's guilt in those oh. pieces. Um, yes, you can overdose on benzos and yeah. die. Oh, absolutely. Shut down your respiratory system. <clears throat> Set down his central nervous system. And he, he would, you know, was trying to be sober at the time and battled it for a long time. And, and, um, but he was, he was talented and handsome and yeah. just, just a great, you know, somebody that we miss today because he was so much fun. Yeah. And so that was, that was kind of the last of those things, Matt. And, and you, you, you know, you guys talk about it where it was, it was this thing where I went into therapy with Desiree Conley one day and she said, this is the greatest gift anybody could ever give you. And I said, what is, what is the gift of this? And she said, the gift to know that if you use again, you're dead. And it was like, yeah. Death is like one of the most like defining teachers, I swear. Oh, it's the greatest teacher. Yeah. And isn't it crazy that therapists can get away with seeing stuff like that? Oh, man. <laughs> you therapists are so dirty. <laughs> That's pretty brutal to say to somebody. Well, they, it's she, But so honest at the moment where it. he's at we in his it. life. She was one of it's those, truth. She yeah. was one of those people that truly loved me. Yes. And I knew. And so you, and, and a little rapport, Matt, you know what I mean? Let's not go over some of the stuff I've heard you say. <laughs> You've heard me <laughs> so say. Yeah. 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 It's brutal. But in the right space, you know, yeah. when, yes. you're, when you're supposed to say something, you're supposed to say yeah. as right. painful as those things are. Oh my gosh, man. They change people's lives. Yeah. And it did. And, and she said, 
I feel like your brother negotiated a deal on his way out that said, if I go, this will help Ty never to use again. And his life will be blessed mm. because of this example that I'm willing to set for him. And I thought, that's just, that means so much to me. And that gift mm. of his death that that has been has just kind of taken the desire, you know, to use drugs and alcohol away. And, and that's a gift. That's a yeah. huge gift for me. And I miss him all the time and every day and think about him and how much fun he was. But I think that's the reality of, of grief in some of these things is it, it, it does enhance that it was this last warning. You know, how many warnings do I need to give you? Your drug dealer won't sell you drugs. Like, <laughs> it's true. What more do you, what more yeah. do you need? And, and that was, and I, I believe that to this day. Wow. I believe there's exchange. I believe there's compromise. You know, I had somebody tell me that my mom would be more involved in my life now that she's gone than she was when she yeah. was here. And yeah. that woman was not, not involved in my life. And I, I believe that guys, I believe she sent me my babies, and my little kids. It's a beautiful Thank thing, you. man. Yeah. The, the, the lessons on love that we get from grief and loss and pain, they're immeasurable. They, they teach us more about what it means to be human and what we're supposed to be doing while we're being human than anything else. And if we're paying attention and we're listening, we can feel the momentum, the energy that's driving us forward. It's more palpable in those moments than any other moment. Yeah. Because that, that, that drive to go and do something, man, that's it. Mm -hmm. that that that's the thing that we have to harness and hang on to so that we can keep doing stuff because in the end the thing that gets us is you're just out of energy yeah absolutely i mean you get uh, people come to my office all the time i'm depressed i'm super anxious uh you know i'm suicidal i can't stop and i say we're gonna round out this problem into one simple idea you lack energy you need the energy to do the things you know you need to do. Do you know what you need to do? Yeah, totally. Tell me about it. I need to do this, this, and this, and this, but I just can't do it. Yeah. And so that's what this spirituality thing is, is it's being able to take that energy that's within us that comes from loss and to harness that energy from, from my mother and she can give it to me after she's gone or, or my brother, or whatever that their memory. And I can take that and I can go and share it. Yeah. Give. Mm -hmm. yep. And, and it'll come back to me, mm -hmm. but I can't just expect to get all the time. Yeah. And that's what happens. A lot of times when we lose somebody is we, we end up stuck. We end up, you know, shaking our fist at the sky saying, why me? Or, you know, but, but the answer to that question is because you're human. Do something about it. Go help. You're not the only one. And damn, dude, you have done that, you know, tenfold, at yeah. least hundredfold, yeah. dude. What what you've been able to create since then, man, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. How many thousands and thousands of people have gone through steps that are now in a be way better place than they ever were before because you were able to have the the clarity, the the ambition to go and help. Yeah. And, and I remember, uh, I remember vividly watching the news in prison and there was a little girl that got cancer 
and she was talking about, and everybody was, you know, we feel bad for her, and it's terrible. And they went and interviewed her, and she said, I'm going to kick the crap out of cancer. Love it. And it was like, and she was 12. Yeah. And it was like, this gangster. And I remember having the feeling <laughs> of, if she can kick the crap out of cancer, I'm going to kick the crap out of heroin. There you go. Right? And and what is it taken from me, and what can I, what can I give it back? Right? And I think that's been the desire, is go back, go back to school, become a substance abuse counselor, go back to BYU to start my master's degree, um, and had all these incredible opportunities and have been surrounded by people way better than, than myself. You, Troy, Jordan, Josh, I mean, just great friends and people. Paul Walkenhorst Paul is just the greatest, one of the greatest humans, Julie Jackson, Sean, you know, and, and, and that's been the gift of recovery for me is just being in a spot to help out. And, um, we've created drug programs in, in, you know, Utah County jail. And now I'm an honorary colonel for the sheriff's office. And I got pardoned, you know, last year in December, which is just the greatest gift ever. I don't have any charges. I don't have any things and been able to take speakers into the prison and give back and, and, and help out and be an asset to the community where I wasn't before. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to be able to, to take the hard stuff and turn it into good stuff. And I still struggle and there's still, you know, sure. bad days and good days. And we lose a lot of people with fentanyl and that is, it is hard. Ugh. Brutal. And it is just hard to lose anybody and, and, uh, all the talent, you know, in, in the graveyard and all the talent from people that, that don't want to take the help. And even people that we've, you know, we'll scholarship everything and come in tomorrow and they won't, you know, and can't get sober so and don't it. know how to. So it's, it's been a, a wonderful life and, and I don't know how to do anything else. Um, but yeah, it's been amazing to give back and help out and have judges call me and, and have people want to work with us and, and travel with you and speak sometimes and, and hear all the work you're doing. And it's, it's awesome. It's good to be on the other side of that. It is. That's almost like you guys give hope to other people. Now you had the yeah. people that were in your lives that gave you hope. And now you get to return that and be that connection for someone else. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I've, I've, as we do more interviews with people who have been through like a steps program and stuff like that, like Kevin on last year, I've realized that community is very um, sacred. Mm -hmm. You guys don't, there's like no judgment. It's all like, this is safe. This is love. Yep. What do you need? Yep. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The connection that you guys create for other people and the hope that you give. Well, I think it's neat when you, when you have a tribe, of yeah. people, you know, it is. whatever that looks like, yep. whether it's church or, you know, who, who cares? Yeah. We have a neat yep. tribe. And yep. I had a guy call me this morning and relapsed and smoked weed over the weekend. And I just thought, you know, okay, I don't care. What yeah. are you going to do now? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I was What's laying next? on my, yes. I've been laying on my bed for a week. Well, okay, look, don't do that. Yeah. Did we let you do that in treatment? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Get back on the horse. What are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Such a key piece. Yeah. The old, the first person I ever heard say this was Blue Robinson. Yeah. The the addict athlete um, founder. He says, "Make your mess your message." Yeah, absolutely. That's just what it is. Because if the mess becomes the message, it's no longer the mess. Mm -mm. Yeah. It now has all this meaning behind it. Well, and we all have a mess. Yeah. And when we can share that message, that's when we can connect. And then that's how we help each other. So if we keep hiding our mess, that doesn't help anyone. No. Yeah. That's, that's been the gift of all this is I think I'm more comfortable in jail and prison than I am anywhere else. And it's, it's just kind of a weird thing, but it's, mm -hmm. it's home. 
You know, if, if, if God exists and he's here and he's not Elmo or whatever, he's there. He's, he's helping the people that can't help themselves. You know, he's not, you know, necessarily in all the places we would think he would be. Um, and I, and I've loved that. And I've, I've been, you know, now that I'm pardoned, I have badges and can get in anywhere and get out the same day, which is super nice. (laughs) (laughs) But that's been the hugest blessing in my life is to walk into Utah County jail and say, okay, I was here. What do we, what do we do now? And the message quack that you guys have done, and this is so beautiful. is even the poverty piece. Like I was meeting with a guy about a month ago and he's, you know, been drinking for 30 years and he has fines, fees and restitution of $33,000. And yet we're going to tell him, get out and go to KFC and get a job for $16 an hour. And then we're going to garnish nine of them. And we're going to tell you to stay sober and work yourself out of that hole. And it's like, that isn't even, you know what I mean? And he's like, so I went and got drunk and I'm like, I would have done the same Same thing. Yeah. Like, are you yep. kidding me? So that's that's the other piece is we do need to look at some of this stuff because we've dehumanized people. Prison doesn't really work. When we've got programs like the Other Side Academy and stuff you can do in programming, we had great programming when I was there. If you don't have the therapist and Desmond and all those people, and, and we got to look at all those different pieces to make it possible for people to recover. Yeah. I think that's you know kind of the part, the conversations we're having. I get to go with Dave DeRocher and meet with, you know, the mayor of Salt Lake County and the sheriff and some people from Alabama are coming in town to learn about, you know, treatment programs. And I, I'm, I'm glad we're finally getting to a place where we're looking at all these different pieces because, you know, incarcerating ourselves out of mental health and drug issues is just not ever worked and not no, going to work either. No, definitely not the so. answer, yeah. No. Yeah, are there, are there any initiatives currently that you're excited about as things move forward? Yeah, there's some, there's some pieces with the Red Barn and the Other Side Academy of, of maybe being able to put programs in the prison. And maybe, and I think if there's some way to rethink sentencing guidelines to sentence them to those programs so they have, you know, skills, talents, and abilities that they're working on in education. I know the Netherlands and Sweden and those guys have gotten away from our incarceration at all. They're just going to educate you and give you a trade, which it it works perfectly in America because we have all these people that don't want to do these trades yet. You know, how much easier is it to go to work is to use drugs if you've got work to go to. Right. So I think those conversations are at least being had and, and treatments evolving with, you know, medicines and, and all those different things, which I'm, I'm glad we're finally doing, but I think the collective thing is I need to do better. We need to do better. Mm -hmm. Let's at least have those conversations to be honest of where we're at so we can do better. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm excited about um, a lot of different stuff that's going on right now, mental health, but especially in the recovery community, I think the thing that I'm most excited about is that it seems that treatment centers are collaborating better mm-hmm. than before, whereas when I first came in, it felt like extremely competitive yeah and people didn't really you know play nice mm-hmm. but that didn't seem so much that way anymore i mean there's a couple of outliers here and there of course but more more often than not you know like all, all you dream center owners seem to be getting together more frequently and collaborating do you feel like that's true yeah we have a, a utah behavioral health organization that i sit on the board of and we meet once a month and go over legislation and different pieces and and people are talking and and aware of stuff and holding people accountable and having some different conversations, which is awesome. And we need that because the education and, and, you know, everything is kind of changing in real time. So I think that's good. You always have the outliers and, and the issues and everything else, but you know, how do we, how do we treat the medication, you know, Medicaid population with, with the demand, with the amount of beds we have. And there's just a lot of moving pieces that, we've got to figure out so i i totally agree with you when i first came in it was it was gnarly and and granted they needed to get some of the bad actors kind of out of the community and they've done that and it's been a good thing and 
and um you know it's it's good but it's got to evolve and and be better i think that's the one thing we've learned even with jails and in prisons is you know what are the recidivism numbers and how can we how can we get better what do we need to do better yeah it's getting tracked better yeah right Mm -hmm. yep yeah, that's outcomes good. are finally getting tracked. Even steps is doing a better job at outcomes and alumni. And those are we need those metrics. Who's yeah. doing good? What what are we doing that they like? Yeah. You know what I mean? What are we doing that they don't? And what else is there? And I think there's been so many, you and I have had so many conversations about TMS and ketamine and all these different things. And and it comes down to the end of the day that if somebody gets on that and stays sober, then why do I care? It's true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you have so many different, you know, opinions yep. on it. And I love the opinions, but ultimately, did that work? You know, did somebody wake up and eat vanilla ice cream and that's going to keep them sober and they stayed sober? Then fine. Do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do well, that every morning. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It works, works. Yeah. I think the thing that is is important, too, is we look at <clears throat> evidence-based interventions yes. that have outcomes that are desirable but are also doable. Yes. And this is this is the thing that gets kind of wacko in in the uh, recovery community is the old school model of recovery is let's build the living shit out of an insurance company and throw somebody in a uh, you know my aunt the other day was talking to me she's like I got this lady who really has she's you know she's been institutionalized a couple of times and she really needs some help and I, I just think you'd be a good therapist for her. And I said, I said, oh, okay, all this stuff. And I started telling her, like, this, she needs to go to this particular treatment place. Uh, they're the best at this particular type of issue. And she says, oh, yeah, that's where she went twice. And so the public perception oftentimes is going to treatment is institutional, institutionalization, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think we're kind of moving away from that into, like, a more holistic model of, you know, round the clock care that provides not just therapy, not just a place to sleep, but also provides life skills, Mm -hmm. provides holistic treatment models that are, that are also evidence-based because we've been so heavily focused on like, let's get them into therapy. Let's get them talking to somebody and they have this intense treatment for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And then we're like, okay, you're done. See you later. And then we throw them back out to the same family the same environment to the same situation and they have all this therapy that they've done and they're better but now that's what i why i love what you guys are doing at steps is you have this amazing evidence-based step-down program and you have this recovery residence that's just best of the best which is what people need because in the end the enemy of you know recovery is isolation Mm -hmm. And we need people to be connected to one another way better than they ever have been before. And as good as therapy is, and I'm not knocking therapy people, like therapy is great. (laughs) As good as therapy is at doing what it does, I connect with these people in therapy, but then they go home. They got to translate that to making relationships, to making connections. And I think as we look at the, the whole of treatment, it's got to get better in that area. Yeah. And and it speaks to the problem we had with COVID where everybody mm. isolated and oh. stayed away from everybody. And so trying to bring everybody back together is just this. It's been tough, I bet. Yeah, huge, oh. huge, huge issue. But 
if you can be in the room with your people and a tribe of people who you think love you, there's no better place and feedback. And you're going to need, you know, residential is fantastic. Detox sure. is fantastic. They just don't work unless, unless you do it for 60, you know, 90 days plus another nine months or a year. You need that much time. And, and I'm always grateful I was in prison for two and a half years because it gave me enough time that I was sober enough to make some good decisions. I didn't have the, you know, emotional capability or resilience going in to be able to deal with any of my problems. All I knew is if I had this upset, I could take this pill and the pill worked great. Yeah. I didn't have a problem for four hours. The problem is after four hours, I haven't solved my problem and I got to take you two You want pills. it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Wow. From being like, oh, then throw me in there. And yeah. then judge is like, okay, see well, ya. I had, to two I had and a half family years. and friends and I had stolen some money and done some things. And yeah. his business partner and family and friends wrote letters yeah. that this guy needs some help. And at that time, the board of pardons saw fit to, to give me that help. And, and it was invaluable for me. I don't think if I'd been there, you know, three months or six months, it would have oh, been Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, you had people in that institution, like, Desi, yes. yep. mm -hmm. who were amazing yes. and talented and could provide you with the support resources and really love, yep. say love yeah. that you need in order to get better. Yep. And this is, this is why where I'm going to stay off the soapbox for a second. I'm going to get on the soapbox for a second and get right back off. This is why, here we go. Zoom in. <laughs> this is why, man, like I, uh, Stuff in your head and the freaking sand is not the answer, people. Oh, yeah. And that's the reason why I created this podcast in the first place, which is to create awareness, especially around recovery, because people are just like they're they're oblivious to it. And that's our world. Mm -hmm. Living it every single day. Every day. I see like the that's sad, dude. Yep. Like break my heart sad. Watch these guys try and try and try and try and try. And they've been trying since they were kids. Yeah. They come from poverty. They joined their veterans, right? Yeah. And then yep. we leave them hanging out to dry. And it's a society we just kind of wash our hands and say, oh, yep. they're good. No. Yep. Like we can be more generous. Yep. We can do better as a society. We don't need to be so damn greedy with our own freaking, you know, I don't need a freaking $150,000 boat. Like, sure, it's cool. You got cool stuff. I get it. But, man, isn't there a better way to support each other? And I'm not talking about communism, folks. But I am saying, like, can we just be a little bit more charitable as a society for us as human beings instead of so cynical and judgmental and, and disconnected? And I don't know what that looks like, but man, it's just a big, it's just, it's, this is one of the bees in my body that just freaking lives in there all the time. But I feel like there are like, I feel like it is getting better. Like I don't, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just feel no, like it's getting fine. worse, yeah. but maybe, you do. I don't but know. I just feel like, humanity like there are people like you and ty and like we've had kevin on here and maui like they are contributing back and then like when deer hollow does their fundraising like there are people giving back it's true there really are people who are trying could there be more people to add to that yeah sure there's there's still always because of oxycontin yeah. and all those things and we're coming out the other side of a, a huge problem i was in the jail a year ago and walking down the hall and this little lady's 
there and she says, what do you do? And I said, I'm just here to talk to some of the inmates. And she goes, it's not the drug addicts, is it? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, they just never get better. Yeah, man. And I said, mm. sweetheart, sometimes they get better and they run treatment centers and they come back to talk to the people that are suffering. And she just looked at me and then kind of walked off. Yeah. Give her a smile. <laughs> so I see, I feel, I feel like what the thing is there is education. Yeah. Yeah. Like people yeah. need it's to true. be educated. Like we're not going to understand something unless we like really understand it and know about it and have the knowledge of it. And so I feel like that's kind of like what we do on this For podcast sure. yeah. is to educate people and let them know so they can understand because her, she probably has, she has no freaking clue. Well, the, the greatest okay. gift of the last year is when I went and met with the Board of Pardons, they said, would you make a concerted effort to come back? And so the last year, um, and you've seen some of this, I've taken a bunch of speakers and athletes and different people cool. back into Gunnison and the other prisons. And we've gone back to kind of give them some hope because when I was incarcerated, Gary Fisher who we know and love came in and he was a guy that had been incarcerated and had this life. And I thought, you know, golf, Gary can do it. You know, maybe I can pull it off. And yeah. so we've gone back in to kind of give that message, but the overwhelming message that's been cool is the guards and the staff don't mm. see people come back and hang out unless they're not doing well. And so that's been the coolest that part is, is I have cool. all these yeah. guards and friends yes. there now, yeah. you know, and are grateful for the speakers because we've had the muscle and Jimmy Rex and Sean Whalen and people that they follow, you know what I mean? Yep. That, that, that they've appreciated. And a lot of it, I went to them and said, who do you guys want to hear from? And these are those guys' heroes that they listen to. And that's been one of the coolest parts is I think the inmates get some of the information that come in. And and there's great information from like Dan Young because he has ADHD and he, mm -hmm. he talked about not medicating it because it's a superpower, right? Those are fantastic messages. But the other message is, hey, you guys saved me. Let me give back to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been the, the incredible part of it is the warden's been kind and, and the directors and everybody's been kind enough to just let us come do that for the first time in the history of ever. And I've been asking to do that for, you know, five or six years and nobody ever thought it was even a good idea. Oh, that's so cool. It is, it is getting better. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a little. It is getting better. Fine. I'll concede. But without. I can't be cynical forever. No, but you without can't. you and that's why I. That's has me. Without you and I and these <laughs> podcasts and things and that message, the, the old message is, is, yeah. is a harsh message. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It, yeah, it lingers. It's oh. pervasive. This you, I, you and I yeah. deal with it, you know. Yeah. If I take anything, I'm not sober. Yeah. Well, that's not what that is. Hold on. <laughs> but those are, those are, those are our people that are yeah. in crisis that are, you know, have so much anxiety over not doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing. Like, you know, we have to be there to kind of say, look, man, it's not that kind of a deal. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That sobriety message is an interesting one. Like the, the all or nothing. Oh, that right? black, that black and white one is, is it's kind of, it's not necessarily on its way out all the way, but it's getting the idea that sobriety is not necessarily because like the way that I'll, I'll, I'll say how I say it, right? Like there, there's a bunch of different books that are about this and stuff like that like one, one a really good one is um uh johan hari uh yeah. chasing the scream yep. amazing, amazing book. Oh, just so good and he says the opposite of addiction is not sobriety the opposite of addiction is connection which is so cool and so i use that all the time because you get these guys in treatment centers like i just want to be sober i just want to be sober i just want to be sober and I, I look them straight in the face and be like i get it cool sober is awesome and then what yeah if you don't have a reason to be sober, what's the freaking point? Yeah. Yeah. You have to find a why to what the thing is that you want to do in order for the what the thing is you want to do to happen. Yeah. 
And, 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 and that's a, that's a big piece of the puzzle that's been missed for a long, long, long time where the message has just been just stop doing what you're doing, which is literally less than half of the message. The other half of the message is now do something with your life. Yeah. Now it's not just about stopping; it's about doing. It's yeah. about going. And I love, I love that. Uh, that's definitely become more prevalent yeah. in the recovery community than than in years past. Well, and, and we've had this conversation. We are not a glum lot, right? And and I think too many times we're in the thick of the entire thing. But people don't realize if you and I go to lunch, yeah. we're going to get down some weird places. We're going to laugh more than we do anything else, for sure, because we have a good time and 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 our lives are good and we're happy. And, Everything else. I just got back from Hawaii. I went with my family and my little kids, you know, and it's wonderful to be able to take all the kids oh, and go yeah. and do those things. But the the pervasive thing is like, do you want to drink? Like every day somebody's every showing day, up, man. Yeah. Do you want a beverage? And it's and it's like, I would like to remember this trip so I don't have to drink. But it's it's different than it used to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can absolutely not drink. And it's like, you know what? Maybe I can, but what do I miss about that life? Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So yeah. why would I What's want What's the it? point? Yeah. 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 And yeah, I think I that, that evolves with sobriety. And I, and I think we just don't talk about, to your point, that message as much of, look, this other side, being able to remember and think my way through problems is really helpful in business and life. Because yeah. you're going to have some stressful situations that yeah. you need your full capacity for. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which is so huge. Yeah. 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 Really cool. Well, before we like... What's it called? Wrap, wrap, wrap up. I'm <laughs> like, what wrap, is it? Um, just kind of like let us know like where you're at today. Like, obviously, you've got out of prison. Mm-hmm. You're remarried. Yep. How many kids? Remarried do you have? have five kids. Oh, yeah. fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Yep. Have and a litter of children. Small, small smaller. Litter. Yeah, five. Five's a. That's no joke. That's five no was joke, a poor man. choice. <laughs> <laughs> we love all of them. But, but you love all lot. of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my dad's. My dad. We have four in our family. He says people ask him how many kids he has. He says I have three and a spare. <laughs> you want them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which yeah. one's a spare? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 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 it's you know. But even Hawaii, it's not really a vacation. It's more of a trip you know we call them trips just just try to get everybody home yeah Yeah. but it's good life's life's good i went back to school and 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 did the therapy thing and and uh, learned so much and and get to run learn steps and do those pieces and then and then i've gotten into several other businesses with other people and with paul and and that's been awesome and and working with troy and working with you guys and those relationships are awesome and just just surround myself with people way better than myself so that's that's the highlight of kind of my day in and day out. My wife's wonderful. She's sober. She's been sober. God, if I'm almost 13, she's 10, nine or 10. And so we've been able to create this neat little life where our, our two littles will never kind of see us drunk or high. That's cool. So, yeah. It's great. That's beautiful. That's amazing. That's cool. It's admirable, man. It yeah. really is. Well, Matt's always talked great things about you. So it was wow. awesome to finally like sit down and hear your story. And Matt's one of my sharing. heroes. I did yeah. my internships at Cirque and I had to hear a lot about Matt. So. Oh, really? Oh, my God. He doesn't know that part of the story. But I was Pretty once tell, I was once compared to Matt Quackenbush, and it was a good day. Oh, that's, that's a good cool. day. I'll take Aww. it. Oh, so a compliment goes you. both ways. Yeah. yeah. And, sure. and Desmond loves you. Dude, uh, you know. it's, it's. Desi a, changed Matt's life, too. Desi's, Desi's yeah. Just, dude. Yeah, Desi knows Kevin. It's just crazy how there's yeah. like this. The circle. The, yeah. Connection, I tell you. Small Lake City thing that they call it. But. The thing that I cannot and won't stop saying is just how much of a gift and a privilege it is to do this yeah. work. Yeah. I mean, this is like 
I don't, it's like a job, but it's also like my life. It's like it's our hobby. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It is. And it, and it's so meaningful and freaking painful and hard. But the amount of cool, amazing, strong it, people we've met who level us up. You're yeah. definitely one of those wow. people, dude. For sure. No, like you can be humble all you want, dude, <laughs> but you're a badass and you level me up big time because I look at, at what, what you've created and I go, I want to do that. Yeah. Like I'm, you, I'm you not, can. I'm not stopping here. Yeah. No, yeah. let's keep going. Like, well, how can we, okay, what's next? Yeah. Let's let's there's, there's lots of work to be done. What's next? What else can we do? Yeah. And I, and I love that having you and Troy to kind of look up to uh, who I work with really closely and, and, see these extremely successful people and go like i could do that yeah you could yeah. absolutely could and I, and I i love you it's my favorite thing in the world to have somebody come up to me after one of your groups and say you know matt said this <laughs> <laughs> and it's like oh did he is that is that upsetting God. And, I, and it's so fun to be like matt man he what a jerk thing to say was he wrong though <laughs> yeah i love that did he, tell you, awesome. did he tell you the truth because god i've spent a lot of time with matt and sometimes he tells me the truth and it's not really what i want to hear but it usually only bugs me if it's true and it's it's i just love having you around and he everybody's does the best life, groups huh oh everything he touches is just fantastic it's my favorite i gotta talk to you about matt Quackenbush. <laughs> <laughs> let me set seven seconds aside for you to tell me this story oh <laughs> man dude. yeah if you ever want matt to come in and shake up your groups Call them. Oh, it's it's the best. It, it is. It is fantastic. It, yeah. it, there's nobody better. Yeah. There's never. I've never seen anybody better. Thanks, That's man. awesome. Yeah. yeah, I do like to say. And I don't. This. And I don't go anymore because the last ten times you made me cry. So yeah, I know. Right. I thought because I own the place, I was off limits. It turns out <laughs> no, you are okay. not off limits. I hope he hears this, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> oh if you watch this if you're not watching this i'm looking straight in the camera you've never been to one of my groups how do we remedy this situation he will not come to one of your groups i know he is the biggest softest oh, best he, person I'm oh gonna, i love those people they just have the biggest ever heart. there at 8 45 a.m on a tuesday yeah, i will snag him. take him by the hand he, it's not that bad he's not what's he, he what's gonna happen he knows but he's sent his representatives he's not <laughs> no <laughs> he, dude, he is the nice. He is the, he is the most honest, kindest like human ever. That has so much anxiety and grew up with so much depression. But he was a five star athlete, so we put him on a field in front of thirty thousand people and said, "Hit that guy," and he only did it because he was in so much terror. Right, that he was the greatest linebacker like in the history of BYU. But it's not him. He is just a big, sweet Gentle giant. dude. Yeah, he would. He's just. He's such a stud, too. He's such Paul. a good dude. And he just does not want to be out. You know what I mean? Everywhere we go at BYU, everybody loves him all the time. They want him to come to practice. They want him to come to this. He does not see any value. I've never seen two people. So Paul's the greatest, one of the greatest athletes I've ever been around. My brother's the same way. You cannot get them to talk about all the cool stories that you think are cool because to them, it wasn't that cool. Okay. And to Paul, he was probably in crisis the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Running around hitting people because he was scared to death. I love right? it. I love it. But it, they are brilliant in that. But I think Paul has figured out kind of where he, you know, and, and those things, he would ball the entire time. And Good. he's he needs to come. You know, I will yeah. I will never too. get off oh, this. I ball oh. too when I go to his groups oh, every I can't. time. <laughs> One day, Paul, I'll get you. I'll get you in there. I'll get you in there. Anyways, well, um, I appreciate the hell out of you, man. Thank you so much for coming on here and Love telling you. your story and yeah, thank you. laughing and 
goofing around. It was great. You have an amazing story. Oh, you guys it was really awesome. cool. It's changed it's, people's life. It's only cool because I get to to tell it this uh, this side today. It wasn't that oh, cool man. for a while. <laughs> cool on the other side like but that's I, the point that's when you tell the yeah. stories to give other people hope who are in that yeah in their lives right now not in the hope and that's so, that's the greatest yeah. you know I'm, I'm gonna go to jail here in a couple of days and tell my story and walk in and somebody will go what do you know about any of this yeah like well okay. let me tell you <laughs> yeah awesome. but love you guys thanks yeah. for this thank you. thank you thanks man thanks ty yeah.